But today, like I said, we're starting the series, and the series is called God With Us. Who's heard of that saying before, God With Us? God With Us is a, is a saying, um, is what's actually taken from the name Emmanuel, God With Us. Emmanuel is a name that um, the, uh, Jesus is called in the Bible. Or more so in Isaiah, they say his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. So this idea of God being with us is like effectively um, Nisha's with us, Stuart's with us, Jason, Sam, Tim, they're with us. Uh, it's, it's saying God with us. We have, to, we have to understand that this Christmas time is more than just a story of a baby being born. It's more than just a story of uh, a way in a manger no sleep, something there. No, uh, what is it? When I don't, we, we don't care. So it's like, it's more than just a nice story of a baby being born. Christmas is more than just a nice story. And I've started asking the question as I've approached Christmas, um, how does it apply to my life? Because I, I, can, I can look at Easter, I can say, I know how Easter applies to my life. Jesus died on the cross. But how does a baby being born apply to my life you know because the thing is we in faith you know the bible happened for us to learn from it but god's not saying it just look at the bible to uh just look at the bible and it is what it is he's like i want you to there's a blueprint for you to actually learn from and what can you apply to your life it's there's there's something called we're going to feel learned after this there's a difference between something called exegesis and hermeneutics exegesis is basically the study of the context of back in the day hermeneutics is Hermeneutics is how does this apply to my life? And so exegesis becomes hermeneutics. So basically what we're saying is we can look at the story of Jesus being born, but we need to have to ask the question hermeneutically, <laughs> how does it apply to my life? Because yeah. the thing is, we all know that faith is all about us. So that's a joke. Turn to the person next to you and tell them why you love Christmas. Tell them why you love Christmas. <laughs> What? The thing about it is we want, to learn, we want to learn about the reality of God through the story of Jesus' birth. Christmas is that we want to learn about the reality of God through the story of Jesus' birth. We don't want it just to be a nice story, a nativity. We want it to be something that means more because we want the story of Jesus to transform our hearts. We want it to transform our hearts for the better. So the reason it's called God with us is because God is with us. God is with us. That's a reality that we have to understand, that God is actually with us. God's, I don't know what your theology says, but God is not some distant God. He just throws down scraps of bread. Like God is actually with us. You know, the story of Jesus goes on and actually unpacks that a little bit more. And so talking about the story of Jesus, let's jump into the birth of Jesus in Luke 2, 1 verses 20. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place. It should be up there. This is a census that I cut while Quirinius was governor of Syria and while 
and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave him birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those who, on whom his favour rests. If you see... There's the next one, please. So you see this one here. It's edited, but usually what it is in the Bible, it, it like goes and it's, like, it's broken and there's space between the line and it's written uh, differently. It basically signifies that someone's quoting something. So what they're quoting is actually Isaiah, quoting a prophecy that was Isaiah made, basically saying that there will be a Messiah, there will be a Savior, Emmanuel will come. And so he's, uh, this is being quoted here. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what that, that had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen, heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. It's an amazing story. Um, but I don't know if, like, we call it the birth of Jesus, but there's literally one verse that actually talks about the birth of this kind of thing surrounding it. But the birth of Jesus is so... We've, we've taken it and we, we, we talk about it at Christmas time. And it is kind of just what it is. He was born. You know, I, I'm a parent of two. You know, I've witnessed two kids coming into the world. Um, it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It is an amazing thing. Because like the moment that child is born, I don't know if you're a parent, you might be able to testify to this. The moment that child is born, there's a flood of emotions, an overwhelming sense of awe and wonder. It's a life-changing moment. You're just like, everything just makes sense. Things just make sense. But then what happens is you go through these moments of glee when your family arrive. Your family arrive to meet the new baby. You put up an Insta post or something on Facebook to try and get everyone to get some likes for it. And uh, you get like lots of likes. And like, this is the best day ever. A baby and 300 likes. You know, it's like you go through this. There's, there's like a moment of glee. And then you get nice messages and meals dropped off. You know, paternity leave is great because if you're with a partner, they get to stay home. You get to watch Netflix. And you get to like binge and just hang out. And it's like, oh, how did we finish three series in two weeks? We have a baby. We have to stay home and do nothing. So you smash fast food, watch Netflix, take naps intermittently. So one person takes a nap and the other person stays with the baby. It's brilliant. It's like, it's smart. And so this, you think this baby thing is a breeze. But it doesn't take long for things to add up, for the winds to change. At first, you're all good with the sleepless nights. You just get your partner to grab as many coffees as they can the following day. 
But after two weeks of being woken up multiple times throughout the night, it starts to grate a little bit. It starts to grate on you a little bit. Then there's this moment when you start realizing that the cuddles you were so keen to have initially are the cuddles you want someone else to have on your behalf. So it's like, say, your family and friends come over, it's like, hey, have you ever noticed that one of the first things people do is they hand you the baby? It's not that they, they want you to hold the baby, it's that they don't want to hold the baby any longer. It's like, take the baby off me, I'm tired. You know, it's like, it's this, it changes. And there are so many times, there are so many times that people can come over and hug your baby. And then you start to realize, this is not, this is not what I thought it was. This is different to how I first, it first happened. And I don't, the next thing that comes, or well, comes straight away, is the, the poopy nappies. It's relentless. Zoe and Lucky. <laughs> Anywhere up to 10 times a day, spew, spew is free-flowing. You learn that you can never wear black again in your life. And you spend most of your day anticipating a small, hungry human's next bowel movement. You know, it's a baby is born. Unto us a child is given. <laughs> like, all this to say is that the Christmas story is nice. But things would have changed long, not long after the birth. You know, there's this, it's just like, we think there's, there's a story, it's like this shining star, angels are singing, Frank is dropping off his incense, frankincense, anyway, uh, it's like, yeah, it's, that's a joke. Like, all these things, and you're like, oh, it's an amazing thing. You see the nativity scene, you're like, this is brilliant, this is such a good thing. And I've got my pediatrician doctor here. Not long after a baby is born, there's things you have to deal with. A baby's a baby. A baby's adjusting to life outside the womb. A baby is human. So what we have to understand is that, like I said, is Christmas important? Yes, there's, but there's more to the narrative of, a, a, of the child being born. So we celebrate Christ's birth but we dig a little deeper. Because Christmas is a picture of God's love for us. Christ's birth is necessary for Christ's death. But Christmas is the story of the moment in time, and this should be a slide, Trevi, that God took on flesh. Christmas is the story of the moment in time. It's called a pericope. A pericope is like a zo you zoom in, periscope into a moment in time. A pericope in time where God took on flesh. And so, just, just think about that for a moment. God took on flesh. Look at your skin. Have a look at your arm. And like, God was in a meat suit. God came and was, was, took this on. God took this on. You know, who's heard the saying, skin in the game? Who's, has anyone heard that saying? You've got to have skin in the game. Yeah, yeah like, so, all right. All right, so this it's actually a business terminology, but it's also you can use it in sport. Skin in the game is kind of this mentality that's like, all right, with business, you can, t uh, there's an ownership, a responsibility comes when there's a financial um, involvement within a business or a situation. 
so you actually have skin in the game. So you can sit outside and you can talk about something, but it's, there's actually a risk that is attached or involved when you actually invest yourself into it, put skin in the game. Another way that you can look at it is like literally you can look at a, uh, you could be on a, uh, in a, what would you say, a, a, a sports team, and until you actually step in and start playing the game, your skin's not in the game. So until you have an attached ownership or responsibility to it. So the skin in the game is to take ownership of something by increasing responsibility for and involvement in creating the desired outcomes. So when we look at the Christmas story, we have to recognize that the Christmas story is more than just a nice story about Jesus' birth. Christmas, even though it's taking a nicer edge because a child is being born, is actually more realistically like the beginning of a rescue mission. Yeah. It's the beginning of a rescue mission where God, through Jesus, put his skin in the game. He put his skin in the game, put the risk out there on the table to basically say, I'm going to come and I'm going to get involved and I'm going to intervene because this is important. Turn to the person next to you and say, put skin in the game. Say it louder. Put skin in the game. I'm going to put my skin in the game. Skin in the game. It's good. We're enthused. I'm surprised how many people didn't know that saying. I've heard it. Skin in, put skin in the... Okay. So, it's, but let's, let's, let's take a moment to understand this. Is it God's indication, God's love for humanity was so much that he literally, literally put skin in the game. Literally came as a human to be part of our story. Because the thing is, if you look at the reality of human nature before Jesus came, I wouldn't say that we were winning. I wouldn't say that humanity was winning life. We're actually losing. We're under sin. We're under law. And we were drowning. So Jesus comes. In, God comes in Jesus, through Jesus, in human form and risks it all. Emmanuel, God with us. God didn't have to. We have to understand this. God didn't have to come in the form of Jesus. He didn't have to. But God chose to come and put skin in the game. So let's have a look at another verse here that actually talks more about this whole skin in the game idea. It's found in Philippians 2, 5 to 11. And this is actually a verse that actually unpacks something called Christology, the study of Jesus. This is a major part of, of Jesus Christ. Study of. So in Philippians 2, 5, 11, and this is Paul was writing to Philippians, but this is uh, from 6 onwards. It actually shows us what Jesus did when he became human. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who in very nature, God, so his nature was God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So when he came as a human, he didn't use his equality as God to his own advantage. Imagine Jesus as this young kid. He's like, I, I want to win the race. The running race. So he's just like running and then it's like, oh crap, I forgot I was God. So he just sprints ahead. You know, or like that's a silly example. Or like Jesus did, wanted to become rich. So he decided I'm just going to, I own a thousand cows and a thousand hills. So I'm going to click my fingers. I'm going to be super rich. God, divinity says that he could do that. Humility says I'm not going to do that because there is a plan 
there's a story, a rescue mission at hand. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being uh, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted his name to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You know, this is, this is a picture of the incarnation. Say incarnation. Tell the person, incarnation. I ate there the other day. No, it's like, incarnation is effectively to take on flesh. Take on flesh. God took on flesh. And it says that the act of grace where Christ took our human nature into union with his divine person became man. Christ is both God and man. Human attributes and actions are predicated of him. And he of whom they are predicated is God. A divine person was united to human nature. The union is hypostatical, i.e. is personal. The two natures are not mixed or confounded and is perpetual. God, when he came, didn't come as God in the sense of his form. He was God, but he actually came. And we have to understand this. The, the, the word in it says he found himself in the appearance of man is the, the Greek word for form. And the, for, the, word, the Greek word for form is translated to morphe. Morphe means to, to, to the form, shape, outward appearance. So when God came to earth as Jesus, he was born as a human. God was not, Jesus was not born divine. He was, he was divine, but he was not born divine because in the sense, and this is a bit of a tension here, when he was born, he actually took on the form of a human. And what he did when he took on the form of a human is he willingly chose to be restricted to the very nature of a human. So he couldn't win that race. He couldn't magically make money appear. He couldn't do these things. Not because he wasn't God, but because he chose himself to be subject to our humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that in itself should tell you how selfless God is. That God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, potentially got bullied by teenagers at school. Potentially was made fun of. Potentially um, had acne and, and grew up awkward and went through the the awkward voice break stage you know it's Jesus took on our likeness he took on our humanity why why did he do this why is it important that we understand that God wasn't born as a he was divine but he restricted he chose to be restricted to human nature human likeness well, it says in Hebrews 4, 11 to 16, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God chose to partake and be one, uh, be one with us in our humanity and sin 
so we could partake in his future divinity and righteousness. Let me say that again. God, through Jesus, decided to partake in our humanity, in, in our sin, even though he did not succumb to sin, so we could then partake in his divinity and his righteousness. You know, if this is the thing. If Jesus came as God and died on the cross as God, that all that says is that God could be saved from sin. But because Jesus came and lived as a human, was tempted in every way, but did not succumb to sin, he overcame and fulfilled the law. He broke the power of sin, then saying that every single human being is redeemable. Every single human being can partake in his righteousness because it wasn't God that came and did it. It was a human who overcame sin. I know know it sounds like a small difference, but it's huge. You've got to understand, think about this. It's like Nisha living the perfect life from birth to death. Nisha living so like away from temptation and saying, I'm not going to live like that for 33 years. And not giving up, not giving in. You know, it basically means that if our theology creates a gap between us and God, we have to reread the incarnation story, realizing that God walked as one of us so he could redeem all of us. He walked as one of us so he could redeem all of us. This is crazy. This is the foundation of Christology. This is the foundation of our faith. If you want to go away and look at like, what do I need to understand to understand Jesus? Look at Philippians 2, 5 to 11. This picture here shows us that every single person has been redeemed. And every single person can be empowered to live a life that overcomes temptation, overcomes sin, overcomes heartache and all these different things. God in Christ walked as a human, was subject to all temptation we were, so he could overcome the law. He lived perfectly because we couldn't. There is nothing that your hand has touched that God's grace is unable to cover. So when I say that Christmas is more than a nice story about Jesus' birth, I'm serious. It's by taking on flesh, God through Christ has shown his undying long-reaching, grace-filled love for us. It's about a vulnerable baby born in a manger whose humble beginnings led to a humble death, which leads to a new future under grace, free from sin. You know, just before we finish, I want us to take a, a, a moment to think about that. Because so often what happens is we, we think, well, God, God can't forgive me for this. Yeah, this I'm too far gone. Why would God care about me? And well, it says in Hebrews that we have a great high priest. So we have someone who died on our behalf. And he can empathize, not sympathize, empathize with our weaknesses. You know, whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with, 
that is redeemable, you can be restored and relationships and things in your life can be reconciled. Not because, not because we'll will it to happen, but because God has gone before. Yeah. It's called prevenient grace, the grace that goes before. Because his grace has gone before you, created a pathway for you to walk in undeserved favour, in a, in a freedom that we didn't earn but we receive because of his humanity.